Hey, college kids. Welcome back to my podcast, Who Cares About College? This is part two of my interview with Mayu. So if you have not checked out part one, make sure to do so. Subscribe and check out my blog, collegerealitycheck.com. Hope you enjoy. All right, you're in Princeton. Hmm, let's see. What did you do that if you did anything the summer before you got into like, you know, you started your um, time at Princeton? Did you visit the college? Did you do some sort of like orientation program? I know some students come like a couple weeks before the school year starts to do some sort of like orientation, pre-orientation stuff. So what did you do the summer before to prepare? Yeah, so actually a little bit before the summer before freshman year, um, in the spring, Princeton hosts these events um, for students who have been accepted. Um, There's like a day long event that they first host for people who are accepted early action, but um, I wasn't able to go just because it's a long trip up to New Jersey um, for a day. Uh, But I went to what's called Princeton Preview, which is an event that's for all accepted students. And this is in April. And this is like a weekend where uh, Princeton coordinates a lot of like, of course, admissions or like not orientation. It's like open houses for each of the departments and also some of the arts students groups put on shows and um, and there are these things called art sing where um, at Princeton a lot of the acapella singing groups um, what are do they performances called? in arches arch sings arch sing okay because you you like your the audio went like <laughs> for a sec okay keep going oh my bad yeah so yeah we have these things called arch sings where acapella and singing groups go and and sing in the archways on campus because it provides a lot of like good sound good acoustics and it's super cool but anyway this Princeton preview was the first time I was on campus as an accepted student as a prospective student and that it was an overnight thing and so I stayed in the dorm with a current Princeton student and got to experience a little bit of the life on campus um and visiting there, it like this was before I had made the decision to go to Princeton, but being there, it just honestly felt like home. I feel like that's very cliche, but I could really imagine myself being a student there, and that really firmed up my decision to attend. Um, and fast forward, in the summer before freshman year, I, I mean... I didn't do anything particularly special, I would say. Um, A lot of people around me were telling me to just rest and enjoy the last summer before college starts. Um, But I I mean, I couldn't just really sit around and do nothing, I guess. Um, I So what Princeton does when you're accepted and have decided to attend is it adds you to a Facebook group of other people in your class. And so some people send like introductions of, like their name and little fun facts for people to reach out and get to know each other. Um, but what they also do is they have student groups send little like flyer advertisement type things of the student group and how people can get involved. And I happened to see one of these about a, a student group on climate policy. Um, and so this is a group that's affiliated with Princeton University and working on like statewide climate policy. Um, And I thought it sounded cool because 
I was interested in policy and kind of getting involved. Um, I hadn't really been involved at all with climate or environmental work before then, but um, I was interested in like math education policy and it was like, why not? It, it is the summer before college and they have this room and freedom to explore. So I got involved, got very actively involved actually, and I'm still involved now. But um, yeah, with that group, we would have like multiple calls a week working on like drafting bill language and working with a, an assemblyman in the state legislature. And that was what I spent most of my summer doing. Wait, so even before you came on to Princeton, you were already, and you said this group is not like, this doesn't like originate from Princeton, it's just affiliated with Princeton. So you were already doing work before you even got into Princeton? I wouldn't consider it work. It was a lot of fun and I wouldn't have done it if I had been forced to. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, it's long story, but Princeton has a student group called the Princeton Student Climate Initiative that has its broad goal is to help fight climate change from Princeton's campus. But one branch of this Princeton Student Climate Initiative is the New Jersey Student Climate Advocates. And that's the group I got involved with. But the reason why it's a long story is because this New Jersey Student Climate Advocates group functions very independently of the Princeton Student Climate Initiative. And it's so it's essentially a standalone organization. Okay, but like, would you consider this not an internship, but yeah, basically an internship? Is it because of how long you've been doing it? Do you consider it like an internship? Is that what you would call it? Um, not really, because it first of all is a student-led initiative, and it's um, all run by students, and it's essentially a student group. And I mean, I'm leading it now, but I think it's I would consider it more of an extracurricular, I guess, in high school terms. Like, um, it's definitely something I just do more for enjoyment and there's no like official credit attached and there's no like official program behind it. It's more of just like, mm -hmm. I'm interested in climate policy. And so I'm working it on it in this space. Wow. Okay. So before we get into Princeton, I just want to quickly know something. Is Princeton good with financial aid? Yes. It is. They're, are they like really, really good? Yes. Um, and I would say, I mean, there are people I've talked to, Princeton would be in like the top, yeah, three, if not like one of the best um, in terms of financial aid. Because first of all, I think it's one of five universities that conducts like fully need blind admissions, which means that people like the admissions team looks over your application without knowing what your financial situation is. And, um, and so, I mean, so they can't kick you out because they would, because you would require financial aid. Um, it's more that they're looking to see who you are and what your potential is. And, and you can demonstrate that through what you've done, regardless of um, like what your background is. And, and then from there, I would say, I mean, I know a lot of people who are on financial aid at the school and um, and a lot of them are on full aid. And and I also have, like know a lot of people who are involved with the, like, um, we call it FLY, but it's like the, the first generation low-income students. Um, and there's a community around that on campus to help kind of navigate this transition into studying at Princeton and, and this whole college experience. 
Okay, so let's go on to more of the fun stuff about Princeton. Tell us, tell us about the campus. I mean, I've been there, so I know how pretty it is, but tell us about the campus on Princeton. Is it located in like a city setting, a suburb, rural? You know, what is there to do around Princeton when you want to like hang out with your friends? So tell us about where Princeton's located. Yeah, so to start, Princeton is in the Northeast in New Jersey um, in a bubble. We call it the orange bubble out of, yeah, just appreciation. But I would say it's, it is a gorgeous campus, um, but it is definitely a bubble in that like some college campuses, the campus is sort of integrated. So like the buildings where you take your classes are like right next to other shops or like in the downtown area and have a lot of like hotels or whatnot. But with Princeton, um, there is an open, but it's still a fence. Um, there's a fence gate system kind of around the campus and I mean of course you can like walk in and out easily but um, the dorm buildings and the classroom buildings and all of that is within its own bubble and um, I mean I remember my freshman fall especially I spent most if not all of my time in that bubble just going back and forth between dorm buildings and um, in classrooms and so the first time I stepped out into like beyond the campus into like the downtown Princeton area, it was like, wow, there are non Princeton university people in this area. And it was, I remember it being really eye opening. Um, but yeah, I mean, so it is in a fairly suburban area in New Jersey and um, it beyond just the orange bubble that is the campus, there are just, um, like a few downtown roads um, with shops and I mean like cafes, restaurants and some like clothing shops and um, stuff in the downtown area. Um, we fondly call it like Nassau Street is the name of the main town in the downtown area. And along that there are, yeah, like lots of places people go to get food. Um, um, and Beyond that, though, it's like a lot of homes and residential areas. And I would say outside of that, there's also like local parks and trails where people go to just like spend some time in nature um, to kind of take a step back from just studying, I guess. And I mean, even being in yeah downtown Princeton. And so that's been really nice. I've just recently explored some of those in this past semester. Um yeah. And can you tell us about what, I guess we could say, requirements or maybe lack of requirements Princeton has for students? Are there some gen ed requirements that people, regardless of what they major in, they have to take? Can you tell us about, you know, what system does Princeton have for that? Yeah. So first of all, there are two degree programs that you can go through for Princeton um, and it's called AB or BSc. And so for AB students, which I am as a policy student, um, it's more of like the literal, uh, sorry, the liberal arts education where you have like, yeah, requirements across the board and they're mostly grouped in terms of thematic requirements. So all students getting this AB, which is like the Bachelor of Arts degree, um, you've got requirements to take certain classes in um, like 
QR, which is like quantitative reasoning. So this is not just, it's not just math specifically, but it can be anything ranging from math to computer science or just engaging with like logical topics. Um, and there's also some in like philosophy and like moral ethical reasoning. Um, there's one about like literature and kind of like reasoning in terms of written language. Um, there's some about science and kind of building up skills in the lab and also outside of the lab. Um, I think recently they added one about like culture and diversity and kind of recognizing that across, um, across disciplines. Um, and then there's also a language requirement, which some people test out of. Um, I personally took a test um, for Japanese and was able to test out of that requirement. But um, if you aren't able to do that, then um, then you like take a specific number of language classes, usually during your first year at Princeton, and, and that helps you satisfy that requirement. Uh, but overall, all of the requirements are very broad, and they're set up in a way that you can really explore topics that you're interested in while kind of checking these um, thematic requirements off the list. Um, and and the- you said there's like two degree, I guess we could say pathways. When you're applying to Princeton, number one, when you're applying, do you choose, like, do you say, I'm going to do this one? And then number two, if you, let's say you go to the one you were in AB, right? Mm-hmm but you want to go into the other one, BSC, is it like an easy transition that way? Is it possible to transition out of that? Yeah. Yeah. So in terms of the application, nothing is set in stone at the time of your application. So, I mean, I applied as a math major, which also would have been under the AB umbrella, but, um, but yeah, I think, I mean, a lot of people come in thinking that they'll major in one thing, but end up switching to something completely different as you can tell. Um, and, and it's fairly common too. And, but I think for people applying specifically BSE, which is a bachelor of science and engineering, uh, there, I think there was a specific essay question that people had to answer that targeted like specifically why you wanted to study engineering at Princeton. Um, yeah. And then about the question of switching between AB and BSE, I would say the the way the courses are distributed between AB and BSE, or the way the course load is distributed all across four years for AB versus BSE is slightly different. Um, I'm speaking based on like what I've heard from my friends in both programs, but the way it's structured for AB students, first of all, is that um, during the first two years, um, you aren't able to officially declare your major yet. Um, this happens for AB students in the spring of your sophomore year. And so I only recently declared my major this past spring. Um, and the first, yeah, like two years-ish are devoted to just taking classes that seem interesting. Um, there are, and it's an entire process of figuring out what you do ultimately want to declare as your major. And so I guess to help guide through that process, each major has a set of prerequisites that you would need to have taken before you declare that major. Um, So for example, for the public and international affairs program that I'm in, you have to take a class on like economics, macroeconomics, um, a class on like psychology and politics or history um, and yeah, general things like that. But those prerequisites are usually 
vague enough that you have a lot of freedom to choose classes that you're interested in and like really go outside of your comfort zone. And I mean, because you might take a class one day that's on um, yeah, politics and become really, really interested in pursuing studies about, yeah, like, like South American politics, for example, um, and ultimately major in that, even though you came in as a prospective economics major. Um, yeah. So anyway, for AB students, first two years are mostly about exploring and then the third and fourth years about um, doing independent research and really digging into your major and required courses. On the other hand, for BSE students, the first year is a lot of taking um, like prerequisites that are common across all of the different majors that are in the BSE program. So this is consistent across like mechanical and aerospace engineering, um, like electrical engineering. And I mean, there are several other BSE programs, but um, in the first year, BSE students have to fulfill like basic science requirements for like chemistry or uh, physics and also some math courses. And, um, and then the second, third, fourth years are a little bit lighter because by then you already like have dived into your degree program and are doing a little bit of research there. Um, and so based on what I've seen, it's, it's easier to go from wanting to be BSE to becoming AB um, rather than the other way around. Because if you start as AB, then you might not have taken all the necessary science requirements to become a BSE student. Um, but if you're going from BSE to an AB student, you're just losing a little bit of time to explore interests across disciplines, but you're not behind behind in terms of like fulfilling courses towards your major. And can you tell us about your, I guess, journey to, you know, through the program to finding what you eventually, you have multiple things that you're studying. So how did you go from math to all the different areas of study that you have now? Yes, this is a great question because I've gone through wanting to major in a lot of different things. Uh, I guess to quickly list all of the majors I've considered over the course of two years, you're right, I started out as a math major, but I took a philosophy class on practical ethics that I really, really enjoyed my freshman fall. And so I came out of that semester wanting to major in philosophy. Um, but I had also gotten a little bit into computer science um, during that same semester. And so, yes, I would. I came out of the freshman fall wanting to either be a philosophy major or maybe computer science. And so my thought process here was that I wanted to go into the spring semester taking the prerequisite courses for the computer science major. So I did that. Still was very interesting to me, but I also took a politics course um, that made me interested in that. Um, but then I also wanted to do more quantitative work. And so I explored becoming an economics major, I also briefly considered actually switching to BSE, but at that point it wasn't as possible for me because I hadn't taken like the basic science requirements. Um, but yeah, I considered the environmental um, engineering track. Um, and besides that, I've also considered like psychology and also um, anthropology um, over the years. And I think that's it, but yes, I've been really across the board. 
And, but I think now, yeah, looking through all the different like major, the major and also the minor requirements, you'll see that the hints of everything that I've explored are still there because um, yes, I'm studying policy, but um, with the environmental engineering interest, like I am doing a minor in environmental studies um, with the quantitative interests, I'm doing uh, like a data and machine learning statistics and machine learning certificate, which is a minor um, for Princeton. Um, and I'm also doing a little bit of the philosophy through uh, what's called the values in public life certificate, but it's essentially a minor in politics and philosophy. So did you just like look at all the things that you were interested in and say, I'm going to put them all together and do everything? Kind of. Um, and I would say that this is not the most common thing to do. Like the average student does not do three certificates. Um, and honestly, it, uh, yeah. So what we call the certificate is a parallel of what most universities call minors, but it's not as official, I would say. Um, because if people see a certificate on your resume, like in terms of future employers seeing a certificate on your resume, they won't really know what that's about. And um, and so I would say a lot of like the advisors that we have during our first year really encourage us to not focus that much on what certificates you are going to pursue during your time at Princeton. Um, yeah, again, I keep saying this, but the main focus is on exploring different interests in your first couple years. And but for me, it's just ended up being that I have taken a lot of classes that go towards the certificate requirements that I've mentioned. And and so I'll continue on those paths. All right. And another thing I want to know, I ask this of everybody. So you went to a public high school like most people coming into college do. And you said it wasn't like too competitive. Like you, they did offer some AP courses and such, but it wasn't so competitive as in you had a bunch of people applying to top schools, like, yeah, basically, like, there wasn't, like, heavy cut competition. So going into Princeton, the top university, Ivy League, you would expect, like, a lot. How was the transition for you in terms of competition, workload, and just, I guess, moving to a completely different state as well? Yeah, so I'll go backwards on your questions there. In terms of moving to a completely different state, it honestly felt like I was going home because I had grown up on Long Island, New York. And the the vibe at Princeton, I would say, is fairly similar to where I was growing up. Um, even the whole thing about going back into the Northeast, it just felt like I was going back. Um, so yeah, that transition wasn't tough. And I've also generally been fairly independent. Um, so I mean, the transition to college and going away wasn't that I guess, off-putting for me. Um, in terms of the competition, yeah, um, I guess I haven't really seen a lot of cutthroat competition at Princeton. Um, like, there is a big atmosphere of just, like, collaborative learning um, and, of course, just, like, yeah, learning together and kind of working through, I mean, yes, the material is tough, but... Yeah, that's, that's kind of what I was trying to get at, the academics yeah. of it, not the mm-hmm. kind of competition, yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, the academics are tough, but not unreasonable. Like, there are, first of all, professors who are so supportive in terms of 
offering a lot of open office hours, um, which are kind of slots of time where um, like in person, you would be able to literally stop by their office and go ask questions and kind of just chat about the course, but also about like the professor's experiences and kind of what they know, because they usually know a lot of cool things. Um, so you can just go chat, have conversations. In virtual settings, there were like Zoom hours where you can just log in and kind of hop on a call with the professors. Um, but yeah, and so the professors are, first of all, very accessible to chat um, but there's also like a center called the McGraw Center for, I think, writing and learning or something like that, where they offer like workshops throughout the semester to help um, help like, kind of navigate managing all of your readings for courses um, or kind of just how to plan out your time to get everything done. Um, and in addition to that, the McGraw Center offers what's called learning con consultations where um like upper class peers, so this is like third and fourth years, they offer one-on-one -on -one sessions for you to like talk through your schedule and kind of talk through how you're going to get all of your assignments done each week um, to and also have the bigger picture. Um, in terms of this adjustment, though, I would say it's really helpful to have like different study groups within your classes um, and also like with friends and have space, especially knowing what your learning style is. Um, because I know some people, some of my close friends love to just get together with their friends and kind of be in a space in the library together and, and like work on their independent assignments. Um, for me personally, though, I like to study alone. And so I'll find some time to either um, like sit outside or go to a specific like a table in the library where I can like set up all my stuff and just focus for a little bit of time. Um, and in terms of finding what your learning style is too, I think freshman fall is a bit of an adjustment period, but again, the learning consultants at McGraw are really helpful um, for navigating that. And let's go into some lighter topics, dorms yeah. and food. Do you take it away? What are the dorms like at Princeton? What is the food like at Princeton? Yeah. So first with the dorms, um, the the exteriors are absolutely like magical. Um, just so, like walking around campus, it's like you're at Hogwarts. Uh, I know a lot. It of people, looks like a castle. Yeah. Yes. All of the buildings look like castles, and it's super cool. I was especially in what's called Rockefeller College, which is uh, which is it's a residential college. So I'll explain that a little bit first. Um, so Princeton has this residential college system, which means that um, as you come onto the campus as first years, you're placed into one of six residential colleges, which are essentially like sets of dorms that um, that you go into. And, and there's a community around this residential college. And it was kind of strange navigating that in the virtual environment, especially for like first years in the class of 24 and 25, but um, especially the class of 24. Um, but yeah, usually when we're in person, all of the people in the same res college, like there's a dining hall in that res college. And there's also like, um, yeah, like places to hang out. So common rooms for residential colleges. And um, and then each res college has their like own type of community feel. Um, I was in Rockefeller, but there's one called Forbes, for example, that's um, kind of 
distant from the central campus and it's like one building that used to be a, a hotel in um and since that's kind of located a little bit further off campus um off of the campus square um yeah i know people at forbes develop really strong bonds because they're with each other a lot of the time um so Anyway, I was in Rockefeller College, which has, yeah, I think a lot of the older buildings, um, the ones that really look like castles, and I'm very fond of it. Um, in terms of the inside, um, there is a mix. Um, I know some people who do not like the dorms at all. Um, I know a lot of people who, yeah, there, there can be a lot of complaints because most of the dorms are on the older side, and so... I mean, the dorm that I was in for freshman year did not have like a, a laundry space in that building. So I would have to like take all my laundry to a different building, walk outside and and go do laundry in a nearby. But I mean, it was still a walk outside to get to laundry. Um, and there are, I mean, lots of buildings that don't have air conditioning, which I know a lot of people complain about. But I mean, I don't find it to be that big of a problem. Um and outside of that, I think, yeah, dorms are cool. They're just, they're not like super special though. Um, just ordinary college dorms? Yeah, pretty much. Um, they're, I guess the big thing is they're not as pretty inside as they are outside because the outside sets a really high bar. Mm -hmm. um, and then within the dorms in terms of like the setups, um, I think each residential college has different distributions of like um, single, double and quad rooms and others. Um, so to explain that a little bit, um, single rooms mean that like each one student has their own like bedroom and kind of space for themselves with a desk and a um, set of like drawers um, to put clothes in or like a closet space. Um, but that's just for one person. And then there are doubles, which means that like two people share a room. And so usually they would have like, like two beds in one room and um, it, they can be bunked or not bunked. But anyway, it's a room for two people. There are, and then there are a lot of rooms that are quads, which means that there are two of these double rooms that are connected by a common room. And so this is the setup that I was in for freshman year where, so I, I shared a sleeping space with one other person um, and there were also two other people in an adjacent bedroom, but, and we had a shared common room that we used that we tried to study in, even though we got distracted quite often. Um, we would just hang out in that common room and I think it was a really nice setup. Um, and one other thing to note about the first year experience is that Princeton puts us in what are called Z groups um, based on residential college. And so we get a residential college advisor who's usually a third or fourth year who, who gets assigned a group of like a dozen or so first year students. And um, yeah, the RCA, the residential college advisor hosts like weekly events, usually involving food from a local shop and like little activities to get to know each other. And, and these are activities are really helpful for getting to know other first years and um, other people in the res college. Now that I've mentioned food, um, I would say I'm going to speak to the non-COVID experience. Um, so yeah, yeah, yeah. first year, yeah, I, 
I like food a lot at Princeton. Um, I would say I don't have much to compare it to, but um, but yeah, I think the food at Princeton is good in terms of variety um, because each dining hall is set up like buffet style. So you can like walk back and forth. Um, you get like a plate and you just get whatever you want from the, the dining hall area. And every residential college has like consistent supplies of like the typical like standard what there's a, like a salad bar and places where you can get like grilled cheese or fries or like yeah grilled chicken and stuff but um but beyond that each rest college will always have like multiple like main entree dishes um like lots of I mean I like that Princeton generally offers a lot of like vegetarian and vegan options and on a regular basis and and then there are some like dishes here and there. Um, there's also like a pizza bar, but um, yeah, I'd say the main thing is that sometimes um, like every couple weeks or so, they'll also mix in like, like different cultural dishes too and have like, they'll celebrate holidays. Um, and I mean like Halloween, they'll make a lot of like, they'll decorate the dining halls and it's a lot of fun. And um, in, in terms of other occasions, I know like when first years originally arrive on campus, there's what's called an origins dinner and there's like a lot of story behind this dinner because they bring in ingredients that are locally sourced. And so they're working with like local Princeton farmers and um, like farmers markets and stuff like that to bring ingredients that were harvested and grown like very local to Princeton and um, have a lot of history behind them. And uh, yeah, so that's one thing. Um, and yeah, sometimes they'll have like cultural cuisines here and there. And each residential college always has different menus um, every day. And so, I mean, there's a way to check like what menus, what the menus are for the day online. So you can know like which residential college you want to eat at for mm. a specific day. Okay. And there are a couple more things I want to get through before we finish up. Number one is... I guess we could say what you're involved with on campus or, you know, internships that you have that maybe you connected through Princeton or something. So can you tell me, do you have any like internships that you've done throughout Princeton or any sort of besides the organization we talked about when you were first entering Princeton? Are there any other organ organizations that you're part of? Yeah, I've gotten involved with a few. Um, right now, I do have an internship with the Environmental Defense Fund working on... Tell us about that. Tell us about that. Wait, like, Did Princeton help you get it? Or did you completely find it on your own? Yes. So it's fully supported by Princeton. Um, I found it through Princeton, and it's also funded through Princeton. Um, so one thing that I didn't know about Princeton before coming in was that it has a lot of resources that are put towards sustainability efforts and also environmental like research and also work on campus. And so there's this thing called the High Meadows Environmental Institute, and it coordinates a lot of the, the environmental studies certificate that I've mentioned, as well as courses on environmental topics, including engineering and um, like science research and um, like policy politics related issues too. Um, and every year, the High Meadows Environmental Institute puts out like a list of internships that are hosted by HMEI. And a lot of these do involve research positions at the university. So it's like, I mean, there are so many 
amazing faculty at Princeton doing work on environmental topics. And so sometimes it's like research assistant positions um, through the university. I was looking specifically for policy related positions and I came across this one that's um, doing climate policy work specifically based in California and Washington states, um, which both have a lot of work. (laughs) Yes. They're big states and they've uh, like Washington especially has recently passed a a really ambitious um, act called the climate commitment act. Don't need to get into details there, but yeah, it's a lot of exciting work and I think it's been great because um, yeah, like going through Princeton to find this position, like there are, I mean, I mean, Environmental Defense Fund is a great place to be working. And I mean, it's a lot of impactful work that's happening. And it's also providing opportunities to think about environmental justice issues that I'm interested in from the perspective of a, of a big environmental organization that's, um, yeah, has had interesting relationships, to say the least, about um, environmental issues. So yeah, that's something I've been doing throughout the summer. It's uh, can you tell us about like you said it's funded by Princeton. Does Princeton pay you not just you, but like in general, do they pay their students to do internships? Yes and no. Um, I would say Princeton does provide a lot of opportunities for the summer. And some of these are through the High Meadows Environmental Institute, but there are others that are funded through uh, the PACE Center for Um, which is like the Center for Community Service and Leadership on campus. Um, There are some that are hosted through like the arts departments or um, other research-based positions that are hosted through like academic departments themselves. Um, But there are also like volunteer positions that are available and that can be accessed through Princeton. Um, So yeah, there's a broad range and I mean, and there are also other opportunities. So if you're not interested in in a specific offering that already exists, there are opportunities to apply for other funding from departments or like through the university to cover projects that you find independently, but don't have funding for. And you said that you were specific, like Princeton specifically has a lot of sustainability initiatives that you said there are a lot of professors and there are a lot of resources for your friends who maybe have completely different majors, not in sustainability did they find like internships and opportunities with ease as well? Like, is it general with Princeton that they're good with, um, you know, work experience and internships? Yeah, I would say it depends on the field. Um, I mean, overall, yes, I think it's very strong and Princeton does provide a lot of resources. Um, for example, I have a very close friend who's really interested in like election related politics and, so, and she was able to get an international internship. Um, so there's this thing called the Office of International Programs at Princeton that hosts international internship programs. And, um, and so for this process, you again apply through Princeton and they help match you with an organization that operates internationally. And, and so I believe she's working with, um, yeah, somewhere in Europe focusing on kind of navigating election dynamics there. I'm doing some research. Um, I also have some friends who've, who are interested in like neuroscience and medicine and also thinking about sports medicine. And so I know she's currently traveling actually around the U S um, she was in, yeah, I mean, traveled like done work in New Jersey and Florida, at least that as far as I know. And 
Um, and that was also um, acquired through Princeton. Um, and then for some other fields like computer science or software engineering or um, consulting, um, I don't know too much about them, but I do know that we have a career center at Princeton that is helpful for, um, yeah, for just finding positions like that and finding funding for them as well. So one more thing, like literally the last thing before we're done here is advice. So number one, what advice would you give for high school students? And this can be anything. This could be a regret that you had. I mean, I don't know what you would regret, but a regret that you had or something that you found really valuable, like just like one piece of advice. And this can be anything, you know, college related or just life related. And then a second piece of advice for current college students, maybe they're struggling don't know what they're doing, you know, they're coming in, or maybe since the new school year is going to start, what advice would you give for those people? So high school students and college students. Got it. Yeah, this is tough kind of trying to distill everything into one point of advice. But I think for high school students first, what it comes down to is just really doing what you enjoy, Um, like doing what, I mean, it took a long time for me, I think, to find what I can call a passion, and I'm still looking. But I think doing what you enjoy will naturally lead to like being able to work hard on it and um, like devoting time and like effort towards it. And I mean, someone was just telling me yesterday that like, if you, if you do what you love, it, it's, it won't be work. Um, I think, yeah, I'm messing up the phrase, but anyway, finding what you love is really important. And taking the time during high school to explore all these different avenues is really key to being able to, yeah, continue finding that and ultimately landing in a position where you're really happy with where you are. So yeah, I think rather than trying to just do things that you think will check off boxes for the uh, college application, for example, like I think it's really important to just dive in to things that look interesting and, and yeah, don't be afraid to devote a lot of time on it. And for college students, um, as a rising third year, I'm not sure if I'm most qualified to share this, but I think it's fairly similar. Um, At least what I'm telling myself is that it's okay not to know what I want to do for the rest of my life because things will just continue to change and um, there will be always new opportunities that arise as we go. But I think it is really important to, again, like, devote yourself to the things that you're interested in, um, dive in, um, really focus and work hard, um, work hard in terms of yeah, letting yourself have the courage to spend a lot of time on the things you love and think things will follow naturally from there. Well, thank you so much, Mayu. Have a good afternoon, evening. Yes. Thank you for sure. You too. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye. That concludes my entire interview with Mayu. Thank you for listening all the way through. Make sure to subscribe so you know when new episodes are released. But other than that, I hope to see you in the next one.